what I've been able to achieve is now all of my portfolio pays for my rent. So I live here rent-free, even if it's over a million dollar house, I get to live here for nothing. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Shump and in this episode, we're chatting with property investor and founder of Your Property, Your Wealth, Daniel Walsh. In this special edition of Q&A, Walsh answers your questions on the best ways to put your hard-earned money to good use if you're looking to invest in property, where to start when building your portfolio and much, much more. Recently, there have been a number of questions sent to me, so a special monthly Q&A episode will be shared. I invite a property expert, Daniel Walsh, to answer these as he brings a wealth of property knowledge and experience. So let's jump straight in. So the next question is from Desiree. My husband and I are in our mid-50s and both employed full-time. Our total gross is $150,000 a year. We own our own home, have no debt and have about $400,000 total in super funds and $200,000 in savings. My question is, what do you do with the $200,000 cash and our aim is to have enough in retirement but everyone says that, you know, everyone says to me, uh, you need X to retire comfortably and I panic. So, I guess if we were to replace our income for $150,000 per year in passive, how can we achieve that? I guess firstly, they're saying what they want to retire on $150,000. I guess what they really need to look at firstly is how much do they need in retirement? They say they need $150,000 but what happens is a lot of people don't realize is their expenses go down quite dramatically when they do go into retirement. They may, you know, they own their own house, they don't have to buy new cars every you know, two years or anything like that. So you've got to look at really what is the base expenses do we need to cover because we need to get that right first. Once you, you know, go through the bare necessities and how much that's going to cost to live each year, then the extra is, you know, going on holidays and living life, I guess, at that point. So it really comes down to what do we need overall and then what we need to do is work backwards on that. Now, it's, it's good that they basically said they've already owned their own house, home outright. So if you own your own house outright, you've got no mortgage. So you've already cut down a lot of expenses. The thing is they've got a lot of equity sitting in that house that they haven't used over all that all those years that they've had those that house where they could have been recycling that debt back into investments 10 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago, um, and being able to build a portfolio that now would have been self-sustaining. So um, in terms of where they're at now, they've got 10 years left. If they were to leave, uh, I guess, the investing route for another two, three, four years, what happens is you're adding more risk to what you're trying to achieve because your timeframes are becoming shorter. So what you want to do with investments and anyone that's investing is you need to be looking at what is your timeline and the longer the timeline, the least amount of risk you're going to take on with building the portfolio. Now, in terms of the cash, they've got $200,000 cash and they own their own home. They've got four hundred grand in super. So their super is going well. They've obviously got the two hundred grand cash but it's not really doing much for them if it's just sitting there in a bank. So they really need to be building a portfolio and that's starting off with the cash money. Um, they could probably go out there and buy two properties straight away. Again, it's going to come down to what do they need. If they want $150,000 worth of passive income, it's going to be uh, by the end of the 10 years, they really need about $3 million unencumbered in investments to be able to do that and that's based off a 5% net return on the net worth that they created. So 
they, they've got a fair way to go in terms of building the asset base. They're going to need to build the asset base as quick as possible to let that asset base grow. We learned from Walsh on some strategies you can use in your later years when you're able to access your super fund and what may be the smartest option. They'll have a 10-year period, 15-year period, obviously, to let that grow. The other thing is what they probably haven't thought about is they've got super. So, if they get to retirement and they can access their super, what they may do is they may actually keep the portfolio growing for another five or so years before retiring some of the debt or selling down some of the properties. And what they could do is live off some of that super money in the earlier days so that then they can let the investments grow for that little bit longer. And then maybe in 15 years' time, they turn around and say, you know what, we need to retire one or two properties uh, in terms of uh, retiring the debt so they can create the passive income. Once they have created the passive income in retirement, it's going to be a lot more stable. I guess around super is if everyone's worried about, you know, what's going to happen if a recession happens and, you know, can I get wiped out? You know, we saw a lot of the baby boomers got wiped out in 2008. So, when you do this strategy and you create the portfolio from a property perspective is as long as you're getting your rent and you eventually own those properties, then it doesn't really matter about the capital growth anymore. It's just about the cash flow at that point and it should be fairly stable if you've built a really good asset base in good uh, areas as well. Just to ask a question maybe on the side here is that they've got $400,000 in super. Do you think that it would be actually maybe an option and this is something that they would need to get financial advice to put it into self-managed super funds so that they can purchase property in that because at the moment if it's sitting with an institution, they don't really have too much control over that amount of money. I've had clients that have uh, done the exact same thing. They've got a, a large chunk in super. They're worried about their super you know, getting wiped out and, and the economy and the way it's going. So they think, you know what, maybe I'll put that into an asset like property where, you know, $400,000, they could go own a property in super. So that's then creating them passive income straight away. So they've already then sorted that out. Um, and then it's just about building the property portfolio outside of super as well. So if they, you know, if they want to put everything into property, then they can do that. If they want to keep diversified, they may stay in, in super and then they may have their, their property portfolio outside of super as well. But it really comes down to their risk appetite as well and, and what they're willing to risk um, to be able to get to the other end. But it, it's definitely a good question to raise because a lot of people don't think about putting their super money into property and being able to do that, you can pretty much create a passive, like they could create a passive income straight away and they can continue to pay into it to build up another deposit for maybe two properties in super by retirement. You can't leverage off property. So let's say that the property goes up. Um, you know, let's say the property doubles in in, in value. It goes from three hundred thousand to six hundred thousand. Typically, outside of super, what you would do is you would go out there and you would refinance the equity portion that you have, and you go buy another property. You can't do that within super, but you can leverage upon the money that's in super. So if you have four hundred thousand dollars, you may want to go out there and buy a six or seven hundred thousand dollar property. You can do that and leverage upon. Um, I guess exactly the same way as outside of super. You can leverage uh, inside of super. You just can't. You just can't use the available equity to be able to leverage upon that and build a portfolio within super. So basically, to summarize that, you can actually build a property portfolio within super using that money as say deposits and then borrowing from the bank or wherever you want to need to borrow the money to purchase property. But you can't take out the equity, say the property has got capital gains, you can't take that equity again to recycle, to use into purchasing more properties. The other thing is to note is 
you know, let's say they have $400,000, they want to buy two or three properties and just put down deposits of, say, 20%. Um, they can do that, but they're going to have to have a portion over. So there's the self-managed super fund when you set that up and you go for a loan, they will actually make you hold a portion in super. You can't spend the whole amount. And the reason being is you can't actually go pay for repairs out of your personal money. Everything's got to be within the super. So the super has to pay for all the maintenance and has to pay for everything. So generally when we look at self-managed super fund and buying properties or building a portfolio in in the actual super fund, um, typically most people would be looking for higher yielding assets that are going to sustain themselves or pay themselves down because you're going to be paying principal and interest. The interest rate might be a little bit higher than your standard uh, interest rate outside of super. So there's a couple of different things that you've got to really contend with. Um, the other thing is as well, it's, it's going to cost you with the self-managed super fund setting it up and then the ongoing cost of managing that as well. So a lot more people go for a higher yielding asset in super so that it can take care of itself and then they can keep building their super up via obviously their, if they're PAYG job, um, getting paid into super each year or if they're so, you know, self-employed, then putting their own super money in each year as well to build up for more deposits. Walsh provides his expert opinion on what type of property people should be looking to invest in and where. Well, it really depends on how much money they're putting into their super and what wages they're earning. Um, so what they can sustain. So if they need a higher growth asset within super, um, you know, and they earn fairly good wages and they can sustain that, then they may be able to do that. They may even go uh, a lower price property with a higher return to be able to minimize the risk or if they're on lower wages, meaning that they're not putting as much into super each year. So it really depends on the circumstance of the, of the client, what they're trying to achieve, but really more, most importantly, what they're putting into their super each year and what they can earn. I have a question for Nina. She says, my husband and I are in our mid-40s and our kids have moved out. We have decided that it's time to sell our investment unit. Based on realistic assumptions, we should make about $175,000 profit after selling costs and capital gains tax. My question is, what should I do with that money? We are completely debt-free so we own our own home but I'm unsure where to invest and I like to continue to build up a portfolio so that way I can have passive income for my nearing future retirement. The first thing I would say is why are you selling the investment unit? Like what, is it not performing anymore? Um, maybe that's why they're selling it. Uh, a lot of people will think that they've got to sell an asset to realize the capital gain and continue building it that way. You can leverage from asset to asset. So it really depends, I guess, on why they're selling that. Now, let's say that they have sold it, they've got the $170,000 where to invest. Well, it really depends on their appetite and what they can afford to borrow. So the very first thing they're going to need to do is actually work out what's their borrowing capacity, what's their strategy and what they're trying to achieve. And also what can they afford in terms of if it's out of pocket, how much buy and or do they need a positive cash flow property as well. So for me, I mean, in terms of where at the moment, you know, I think Brisbane's quite a good opportunity. That market is a, is a good opportunity to buy in at the moment where if you get a balance between good capital growth and a rental return, um, so that's probably a, a good starting point uh, to be looking at. But again, it's really going to come down to what their risk appetite is depending on how how much they leverage that uh, deposit that they have, which is 170000 They typically would probably only buy, say, maybe one property. They might be able to squeeze out two cheaper properties. So let's just have a look at this scenario again and say, for example, if Nina said, okay, I've decided not to sell this unit because we're just exploring that option and we held on to it. Now, if we were to pull out, say, that um, equity, which potentially 175000 is 
already after costs and you know all the all the capital gains tax, you probably might have a little bit more equity in that. What would you say we could potentially do with that? Would it be the same strategy? And and based on say maybe a very risk adverse type of um, appetite, someone who doesn't want to actually be too aggressive with building a portfolio, would, how would they approach this scenario? Let's say that they didn't sell, and, and that's where I would want to look at their that that property to see what it's doing because it's doing either one or two things: it's either growing in capital growth. Or if it's not growing, has it got cash flow? If it's really negatively geared and it's not growing, well, then obviously that's maybe an asset that they don't want to hold on to. But if it has really high cash flow and they're able to leverage out of that, like you said, they'll be able to leverage out more than $170,000. So say they have a good $200,000, they probably could go buy two properties between, say, Three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars. They might even diversify and put one in Victoria, one in Queensland. Have two properties in diverse locations, so they they they've got different growth drivers. And if Victoria grows, then you've got the best of that world. And if uh, Brisbane grows, you've got the best of that world as well. So I guess that's minimising the risk uh, from that perspective as well. To me, I like to instead of buying a house for say a million dollars, I'd rather go out there and buy two for five hundred thousand, or maybe um, three to four hundred thousand dollar range. So that's minimizing the risk if they want to be more risk adverse at that point. Coming up after the break, we'll hear Daniel Walsh answer more of your questions on what to do if you want to start building a property portfolio. I live in Sydney and the, the property prices are quite high here. So, to me, it was very much like, do I go out there and buy the million dollar home? What to do if a large sum of money falls into your lap and you want to invest? Well, the first thing I'd be looking at is saying, where you live right now, how long do you want to live there? Is that the home that you want to live in? Um, because you want to get that right first before you're building a portfolio. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, are you enjoying the Q&A session with Daniel? If so, please keep sending your questions through. Also, I've asked Daniel Walsh to do something special for you, my listeners, just to say thank you for listening. When you sign up to get a copy of his ebook, Zero to $3.5 million in six years, five steps to high performance property investment, and quote, property investory, you'll get 50% off a strategy session with Daniel. He'll personally put together a property plan during this session, which is the first step to building a successful portfolio. To claim your special offer, simply visit yourpropertyyourwealth.com.au or text 0431 and quote, property investory. Sometimes with investment properties, it is about the long game and Walsh delves into a couple of properties he has bought that have turned out to be very successful. Another thing to note with looking at this property as well is let's say that that property has had good capital growth, which it looks like it has, but maybe it's a high yielding property where they may be able to turn that to principal and interest and then let that property pay itself down. So they're guaranteed to own that over a period of time. Um, and then that, that will create them passive income even long term just from the one asset. I actually have done the same thing with a property in Sydney. So I've got a couple of properties in Sydney where they've grown quite rapidly. They've pretty much, they've both doubled in value. But the, I've recognized that probably over the next three to five years, they're probably not going to grow too much more. But the thing is with those properties, they're higher yielding properties. So they, they yield me about 7.5%. So what I've done with that, both of those properties was transfer them both to principal and interest to pay themselves down. So I'm creating equity myself at that point. 
but I'm not actually paying anything out of pocket. So they're basically paying themselves off at this point. Now, the reason why I didn't want to sell them was because they're such high yielding properties in really good locations. Even though I recognize they're not going to grow, I, or in the, maybe the next three to five years, I don't want to sell them because I know over the next 10 to 15 years, they'll do quite well. So I want to pay them down and I'm going to leverage the equity out of them to go buy in more growth areas. They could do something similar if they've got a property with a, a higher yield where they've got equity in. They may not necessarily think it's going to grow, but they can turn that to principal and interest and let it pay itself off. It's basically guaranteed equity. You know you're paying it down, but you're not having to physically go to work to pay it down. You've got somebody doing it for you. Um, I've done that with a, quite a bit of my portfolio and it's good to know, I guess I wake up every day and think, you know, I've got a fair few properties paying themselves off right now, even if I wasn't to go to work, that they're paying themselves down. They could do a scenario like that rather than just selling the asset to get to get the capital gain to then try and make uh, more money in the next, uh, I guess, the next property. They could leverage from it instead. The next one is from Mitch. He says, I'm a 23-year-old university graduate in my first year of full-time work. I earn about $57,000 and have about $12,000 in shares. $16,000 in super and $10,000 in my savings account. My girlfriend and I have been dating for three years and are looking to move out in the near future. We're both currently living with our parents. However, even with historically low interest rates, Sydney property prices make me physically sick. My question is, is the Australian dream of owning a house all that cracked up to be given that the interest payments on a large mortgage even with a 20% deposit wouldn't be better off just renting whether or wherever we want to live and building a property portfolio. At least we would see some income from property. What do you think? I think this is a, a really good scenario for a lot of young people um, because I, I myself had to, I guess, go through that journey and, and I'm a rent vester and I'm still a rent vester. So I have been through it and I've asked myself the same question and I still continue to ask the same question. I live in Sydney and the, the property prices are quite high here. So for me, it was very much like, do I go out there and buy the million dollar home? No, and I know that I'm going to have that for a 30 year period. And I know that over that period of time, I'm going to have stress points because there's, you know, you're going to have to think about what's happening with the economy, are interest rates going up again, what's going to happen. And there's going to be periods of, um, the economy not doing well, the interest rates going up, you know, going down. They're going to do all different things over the next 30 years. So I basically looked at it and thought, I know that I'm going to have points of stress if I go out there and buy a property in Sydney with a really high LVR and, and have a million-dollar mortgage. So I wanted to go the other route. And for many young people, I say to them, you know, it can be a lot, uh, lot more stress-free by going the other route, which is going to rent where you'd rather live. So I rent where I live and then I go out there and I build investment property portfolio in more affordable locations that I can afford at that point. And I think that's a really good way of doing it because you can create the passive income that can then pay for the rent or in later stages of your life will pay for the mortgage if you wanted to buy a house. Um, it is a long route to do it that way. If you're going to go that route, you're going to have to stay the path for a good probably 10 years and that's because you're putting all your money into investments. Um, and then that's what I've done. But what I've been able to achieve is now all of my portfolio pays for my rent. So I live here rent free, even if it's a, over a million dollar house, I get to live here for nothing. Whereas if I wanted to actually uh, pay that off, I would still probably have an $800,000 mortgage if I was just doing the traditional paying it down each month. Um, so I think it's a really good question because it's in Sydney itself, uh, there's a lot of locations where it's cheaper to rent 
than it is to buy the property. And not only that, not only is it cheaper, but you also have less risk because if something was to go wrong and you lost a job and you could no longer afford the rent, then you can move out. You know, you give your notice and off you go. Um, you can't do that with a mortgage, especially if you know you're in negative equity where some of these people are bought in the top of the market, Sydney. So, in this case, I would say that you know if if he's really comfortable renting, then probably stay the renting route. It's it's a it's a decent uh, strategy to be able to rent and then build uh, your investment portfolio, as well as most people can't maybe even afford to ever get into that market of Sydney. So it's it's better off getting into a market than no market at all. So I would say looking at his numbers is first, he's going to have to just knuckle down and save a bit more money um, to be able to get into his first investment. But it's, it, it is a good route and it's a valid question too, because I think I, you know, I get asked on the daily about that type of question for people that are under 30 years old. I'd like to probably run some numbers just to give people an overview because I'm pretty sure people go, okay, yes, you know, <laughs> this this sounds like a great path to go down and do rent investing just to get started because if you try to get into a market, say for example, like Sydney, and let's just say the average property price in Sydney are a million dollars, this is just a house, not an apartment or anything like that you need to have at least a minimum of 20% deposit. So, you need to have at least say $200,000 saved up as a minimum. That's minimum. Then you got to add all your additional costs. That's another 5% on top. So, make it rounded out 250000 you need to have to save up in order for you to be able to get into the Sydney market. Then on top of that, you've got a say $800,000 mortgage. I don't know how much roughly you'd have to do. If we do a quick calculation, would that be on say 5%? 5% on, on 800000 would be $40,000 a year. That's like a minimum minimum wage, which is roughly about say less than just under five hundred dollars a week. Um, actually, it's more than that, wouldn't be about eight hundred dollars a week. Now I calculate, yeah, about eight hundred dollars a week. That's just interest repayments. To actually rent a place in Sydney for under eight hundred dollars is quite achievable. Would you say so? I live in over a million dollar house and I don't pay eight hundred dollars a week. You know, but it would cost me more if I was to own that property. So I think that you know to look at it and people, what happens is. People will say that they go, I'm going to go buy a house because that makes them feel warm and fuzzy that they've bought their own house, but they're only paying the interest back a lot of them. So, we're seeing a lot of people just paying interest only because they can't afford the principal. Um, and I look at that and I say, well, that's no different to renting the house really, you know, but I could probably rent that even cheaper and I don't have to, uh, you know, you've got to factor in all the extra bills, the maintenance on the, on the property. I know in my property, I've got a pool and the pool pump blew up about four weeks when I moved in. So the guy had to shell out the money for to do the pool pump. Um, so you've really got to look at it and say, I don't have to pay the rates. I don't have to pay the maintenance. I don't have to pay the insurance. And that all adds up. And in a million dollar home, that could be $10,000 a year that you've got to add on extra that it would cost you if you were to own the property. That kind of puts everything into perspective and it's really good that we kind of broke these numbers down. So, I guess um, for, for maybe Mitch, he can definitely consider looking at the reinvesting route and start building his portfolio up and even just to get started in any other markets like in Brisbane, you'd probably be looking at say maybe on average what $350,000 property to get a 20% deposit, fifty dollars to $60,000 would be probably sufficient to get him to the property market at least. And he might not even go down the route of 20% deposit. He might go down the route of putting a 10 or 12% deposit. Yes, you'll pay lenders more insurance, but on 350000 it's like $5,000. But that's also claimable. So, what you've got to look at as well is uh, once you build the pro- property portfolio and you're renting, what you're doing is you're all the debt that you're taking on is deductible and you're getting deductions on this. So, lenders' mortgage insurance is actually a deduction. 
So if you were to pay $5,000, you would be able to claim that back over a five-year period um, at your marginal rate of tax. So you'll get some of that back as well. So you may not even want to put a 20% deposit down because you're getting income from the property. So your risk is a lot lower than if you were to go out there and buy the property and own it. I've got another question from Beck. Uh, <laughs> this one's an interesting one. I'm about to receive a large inheritance from a friend of the family. It's around $350,000. My friends are all envious in a good way, but to be honest, it's actually stress- stressing me out. I have a $400,000 mortgage, which I only bought three years ago, and I have an old car that I want to replace. I have no children or dependencies. What would you advise I do to build an investment portfolio with that amount of money? Well, the first thing I'd be looking at is saying, where you live right now, how long do you want to live there? Is that the home that you want to live in? Um, because you want to get that right first before you're building a portfolio. I mean, you can still build a portfolio, but you want to look at where's this $350,000 going. I would rather be putting, let's say that the scenario was that she's happy where she lives, she wants to stay there long term. I'd be paying down that debt first. That's non deductible debt. $350,000 straight into the mortgage, you owe $50,000. Now, then from there, what I do is refinance that mortgage. And then I would be getting split loans, which might be two or three split loans. And then you could go out there and buy two to three properties almost straight away. What you're doing then is you're paying down your non-deductible debt and you're transferring that debt back into deductible debt so that you can claim the whole amount of that debt. So you're basically borrowed then 105% because you're borrowing for the stamp duty, you're borrowing for the, the total loan amount because it's coming out of the equity that you just refinance from your own home. So now you get to claim 105% deductions, um, but you've also paid your own mortgage off down to $50,000. You can continue to pay down your mortgage at that point and keep your investments at interest only, pay down your mortgage all the way down to zero. You'll be able to get rid of that probably within a year or a couple of years. Um, And then you own your own home technically. You've got no non-deductible debt, no bad debt, and you've transferred it all into investments. So I guess from a portfolio perspective, you've actually got yourself the right way up. Um, In terms of that car, you want to get a new car. I mean, the way that I like to do it is I would uh, put the money still into the house. I would actually just whatever you needed, let's say it's $50,000 for a car. I'd be getting that out of the mortgage instead of going to get a car loan or anything like that. And I'd be probably just paying interest only on that. You'd be you'd be getting you know maybe a rate of say four percent. So you're paying four percent for the car instead of um, you know basically going out and getting a car loan of maybe five six percent. You've got to pay a, a massive. Uh, I guess you've got to pay it over a three to five year period. Instead, you're just paying the in- interest portion of fifty thousand dollars is probably like I don't know maybe fifteen hundred bucks a year or something. I haven't calculated, but it's probably fifteen hundred bucks a year to hold the car. The car's a depreciating item, so you don't want to really throw all your cash into it anyway. Um, and you can keep your money working for you longer in the investments. I think that there's some really, really valid points there to be able to raise uh, because the the good thing about doing it that way in terms of, say, buying a car is because then you don't have to worry about after three years, you've got to actually roll it over or go through all that other paperwork. With that, basically, you have access to your money and you can actually own the car outright. And therefore, as you said, it's a depreciated asset. You know, you just don't want to hold too much cash in it or, or buy it with cash as well too. So, in terms of, say, you know, building a portfolio for maybe, say, Beck, what kind of... Th- what kind of strategy do you think you could you know, perhaps recommend for her if she wants to start replacing her income as well? Say she has maybe wanting to earn the average income um, towards retirement, say maybe it's 75000 to 100000 a year. Um, what would you recommend to do to start building out this portfolio? 
well, straight away, I mean, should be going close to owning, owning her own home. So she's in a very good position. So for her to leverage and, and go out there and build a portfolio quite quickly is quite easy. So let's say she goes out there and buys, let's say, three properties even, even if they're between, say, three and $500,000. If we round it out, say, five hundred grand, that's, what, $1.5 million portfolio there. So what I'd be doing is is making sure that you've got to balance, you know, depending on our income, we've got to also look at factor in the income, but I'd be balancing out the yield with capital growth and I'd be diversifying the portfolio. Three properties in three different locations, predominantly probably sticking to houses at that point um, and, and finding growth locations. Obviously, I go through all that uh, research to do that, but <clears throat> finding um, three growth locations and, and then being able to diversify the portfolio straight away. So you've then got three... Uh, properties worth $1.5 million growing at maybe a 5 to 6 or 7% uh, rate at that point. And then from there, we can continue to leverage and she continues to save uh, money and pay down her own mortgage at the same time. Because again, we don't want to have a huge strain on her um, investments in terms of negatively geared while she still has non-deductible debt. We want to have these properties working in the background for her and you know, a $1.5 million portfolio can be working quite well for her while she's still paying down her non-deductible debt. Um, and you know, you could do that over the next three to five years, build a quite comfortable portfolio of maybe one and a half to $2 million. And within a 15-year period, that should go between sort of uh, around that, what, if it's one and a half, it'll go between say three million and four million dollars. Yet you would still only owe maybe one and a half million dollars if you didn't even pay out the debt. So that's interest only. So you've been able to get yourself into quite a good position where you can, within that fifteen-year period, create um, passive income. And along the way, once she's paid down her own debt of her own mortgage, she can then start to. Uh, uh, pay down some of the other debt as well and then recycle that into more and more investment properties um, to make sure that she creates a passive income even early on. Hey, just a quick one before you go. I've asked Daniel Walsh to do something special for you, just to say thank you for listening. When you sign up to get a copy of his ebook, Five Steps to High Performance Property Investment, you'll get 50% off any future strategy sessions with Daniel. He will personally put together a property plan during the session, which is the first step to building a successful portfolio. To claim your special offer, simply visit yourpropertyyourwealth.com.au or text 0431. 251609 and quote property investory.